This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Are you thinking about doing your own podcast, but you don't know how? Well, have you heard about Anchor? It's actually the platform that I'm hosting through this right now. And yes, it's free. Not only is it free, it's super easy to use. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. It's really that easy. And guess what? You can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's a big deal. So it's really everything you need in one place to make an amazing podcast. All you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. We have to go to, through crazy things in 2020 or whenever we shot that 2019 mm-hmm. to be naked on TV with another person. Yeah. Men and women both. He and I needed to sit together with a sensitivity trainer and talk about like how our parts were going to be covered so they wouldn't be touching. And then they come in with... They have a thing called, are you ready for this? They have a thing called a vajoga, which is a yoga mat cut into the shape of like a bikini bottom that you put in between your legs. In five, four, three, two, one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. We have a very special guest. We have the illustrious, I don't even know what illustrious means. I just use the word. I don't even know what it means. We have the beautiful, talented, funny, hilarious Jackie Tone, one of my co-hosts in the show, the best leftovers ever. Jackie Tone is in the house, everybody. Yeah, baby, baby, baby. I'm so happy to be here. Um, mostly just because of friendship. <laughs> like, wait, I get to just kick it with David for like an hour? Yeah, what's up? You know what's so funny? Like, you know when we went into the uh, the, the chem test stuff, right? Oh, my God. I well, actually first, didn't know. Tell the people at home what a chem test is, no? So basically, a chem test is, well, first of all, basically, you, you're, you're walking into, it's kind of like an audition but you're basically seeing chemistry between you and other cast members to see how so it works it's out. like next level audition. Like yeah. generally with a chemistry test, you don't chem test unless you're in the running. They don't yeah. chem test every person, you know, the, the, yeah. the time. So, okay, go on. I didn't know what I was going in for. <laughs> you know, I just walked in. And I was what like, do you mean? Like you didn't even know it was a cooking show? No, I didn't know it was a chem test. I thought I was having a general meeting with like magical elves. <laughs> Who's, I mean, not that it matters to throw anyone under the bus, but does your people just not tell you or did you not read an email? Like what happened? No, my manager told me I just don't listen. So like, I walked in, in, he was like, this is a chem test. I'm like, what? I'm like, all right. But also we should tell, we should tell your listeners. um, I'm pretty sure you came straight from, was it kickboxing? What do you do? Muay Thai kickboxing? I came from like a kickboxing class. I was like, he, all right, he let's was like do this. Sweaty in like in like workout shorts and a t-shirt, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I think you even told me we were sitting in the waiting room and we were like fully getting along great." And I was like, oh, "I love this guy." And you were like, "Yo, I didn't even." Did you know at that point that I was already hired and I was the host and I was who I, you were testing with? I knew nothing. <laughs> I don't think you knew that because you leaned over to me, maybe thinking I was also auditioning, and you were like, "Yo, I did not know what I was coming to today." And in my brain, I was like, "Oh, he doesn't know that." the person he's chem testing with is me. Yeah, I had no clue. I was just walking in. I'm like, well, let's see what happens. And then, you know, like my manager's like, yo, do you fucking listen to anything that I yeah, say? Yeah, but you know what? That's like some office space energy. That's, <laughs> is it Ron Livingston? Is that the guy? Like, what's that character's name? And uh, Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, fuck, I think I it's Ron remember. Livingston. Yeah. That's like that guy energy where like, you walk in and you're so chill and cool and not desperate that like that energy is like, wait, 
this has happened multiple times. Like when I when I first started auditioning, um, so I, I I did this film and it got me a a bunch of like general meetings with a bunch of casting directors, and in these general meetings, uh, I remember I met up with the casting director afterwards. Like we just happened to to walk by each other, and she was like, you know. It was very refreshing meeting you during our general meeting. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, you kind of just showed up in flip-flops and socks and, uh, <laughs> and uh, basketball shorts and a t-shirt. I'm like, well, what was I supposed to wear? They're like, well, you know, general meetings are very casual, but that's the most casual I've ever seen anybody walk in And you know before. what's interesting is that can, go, that can work for you and it can work against you because I did a series years and years ago, this is so weird, called Regular Joe. It was my very first gig. I think I was 23. And this nightmare of a business. Somebody wrote this guy, David Lid, who created King of Queens. He wrote the pilot. And then uh, they initially, they shot the pilot. And it was like a massive family, Judd Hirsch and Daniel Stern. And the point of the show was that this guy, Joe, at the center of it, Daniel Stern, he had like this massive extended family. They all lived in his house. Just a wild family show. And then they picked up the show, but they decided it should just be a four-person family. It should be father, grandfather, son, and daughter. Hmm. I tried out. And I got the part. And guess who else had to try out against me? The girl they were replacing. They were making her retry out for her own role. Wow. And then I beat her out. <laughs> and then I got fired. And she re-replaced me with her. What kind of mind fuck is that? Well, anyway, the reason I was telling you that mindfucky ass story was because when I went to like the table read, I thought that it was cool. Like I put on like a little sweatsuit and I didn't mm-hmm. look like shitty. It wasn't, you know, I yeah. wasn't a crazy person in socks and flip-flops and basketball shorts and a jersey <laughs> t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like I would never go to that a level. Ketchup stain right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd never go to like that spaghettio David Snow level. <laughs> yeah. Spaghetti sews. That's me. But, I, but I was in like a little matching sweatsuit and they called my agent and they were like, this is a table read in front of the studio and the network. And doesn't she know that she's supposed to dress the part? And Whoa. they like roasted me for, and they were like, it's just a really green move. She's just really green. And at Jesus. the time I was friends with name droppy, but this is the story. I was best friends with Jessica Beale and I lived with her. Oh, really? And, yes. And so she was on seventh heaven. And yeah. so she would, she would wear, she would look like a homeless girl going to work. Yeah. <laughs> she would be in like, she would, whatever she slept in. And obviously when it got to glow and you, once you have the job, yeah, you show up to work in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. really all I knew of like what cool actors did to show up to work was like, look casual, like look like you don't care. So I did mm. that and they were like, she's an amateur. She looked awful. And me, and ultimately I got fired. I don't think I got fired just because of that, but it was a big contributing factor. That's crazy because I damn I don't even think about that stuff. Like I just kind of in my mind I'm like I'm trying to be as to. comfortable as possible. So like if I'm comfortable in this and I'm meeting somebody, then this is the personality that you're going to get. Like I'm not trying to make a statement or a point, but this is just generally how I look. You know, but so, I also hate to make a flag waving. I don't hate to. I'm gonna make a flag waving <laughs> feminist statement. Men can show up in whatever they want, and women mm. have to look hot, young, and have perky tits forever. Mm. And it's just what it is. We need to be like thin and attractive and dressed nice and have our makeup perfectly done in case anyone sees us ever. And men, when they show up in basketball shorts, my ex-boyfriend actually, who I'm still close with, he he's very big on that. Oh, Rick, who you guys might talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be on his podcast next week. 
he's oh god are you gonna have fun but um anyway uh shout out take your shoes off pod but he um he's that way like he doesn't put on anything other than socks and shower slides and basketball shorts and it's kind of his thing and like you get it and that's that's what it is like men men do that stuff and it's like really cool kind of when they do yeah i, I oh, kind of noticed that too there. especially like in, in in the acting world you see a lot of these like uh these male actors who later on they find a lot of success in their career but you don't see a lot for female actors past like the age of 40 like for example like idris elba right he's killed it when he got way older but i don't it's see that crazy. a lot for and females that's common and also men societally like at, even as a woman like when I was in my twenties, like men in their forties were, were hot to me because mm. society, it's like, it's allowed mm. where like, I don't know that except for the exception of JLo and Halle Berry and like Jennifer Aniston. Well, they don't age. They, they, well, they definitely eat placenta of children every day. 100%, 100% sacrificial children. Yeah. But they, with the exception of very few women, it's like, it's not, it's, it's just not the way it is. I mean, there's there, it feels like there's an expiration date on not. It feels like there is an expiration date on women in our industry. And I think for me, mm. why something that I am sort of proud of and wasn't really my choice. I was never the ingenue. I was never the, like, uh, I was never the, the gorgeous, you know, like the girl that was like the hot girl in the high school or the hot girl in the college or the hot girl in the workplace. Like that was never, because of what I look like and sound like for better or for worse, I just was never cast as that. But because of that, as I get older, my value hopefully isn't decreasing because it's not all hung up on how hot and perky my tits are. It's mm. hung up on hopefully my mouth and brain, my well, big, you- <laughs> wet, open mouth. Hear that industry? <laughs> You know, so when um, I actually didn't watch. So if you guys don't know, Jackie is which I'm so fucking pissed. There's not, there was no wrap up to fucking Glow. So oh, I can't even get, don't even get me started. I binged Glow throughout when we were shooting because you told me about it because I I've had it on my list and I'm like, you know what? I met Jackie. I have to watch Glow now. So I got hooked on Glow, and then lo and behold, where the fuck is the last season? Like it it ended on a fucking cliffhanger. I'm sitting there like, yo, what the fuck is going on? No, it's, it's truly, it's truly, it's hard during a pandemic. I mean, I have so much like success guilt and all this weird psychological stuff wrapped up. So I find it so hard to complain about glow, not complain. Cause I mean, my emotions are real and yeah. I'm allowed to, my, we all, I respect everybody's reality, but it's, it's so hard for me in a pandemic when, there's like dudes walking down my street um, collecting bottles and I'm running the house. I'm like, Hey man, I have these bottles and also this hoodie. And then tell my boyfriend, Hey, I just gave your hoodie to this dude that walked by. I hope that's okay. He's like, what the fuck? Like, what? I really <laughs> like that. I was like, sorry, that guy really needed a hoodie. Um, but also the point of that is just to say like in these hard times where people don't know if they're going to like put the money, the tiny amount of money they're making toward their rent or feeding their children mm-hmm. it's hard to be uh it's hard to i think just I, I want to at least say that in conjunction with how devastated i am about glow while also realizing i'm like crazy well you're, and lucky. you're and like i think if i didn't have that truly if i didn't have our show mm-hmm. i don't even know the depression i would be in about glow because i'll be honest 
you were saying we were just talking about women having an expiration date. I've been acting since I was nine and I got, I got glow when I was 36. (laughs) You know, what's so, so cool about that though. In years of people being like, Nope, not you. See, this is what's so interesting too. I think when I was talking to you, you were, you were also mentioning about this, this perception of being like very grateful for the opportunities that you have. And, um, like we were talking about how there are like certain actors too who've been doing it for five, six years. And they're like, you know what? This industry is so tough. It's like five, six, you just started, child. Like Baby you girl. literally just started. Baby girl, I can't even, like I am an empath of that to the highest degree. And I, no part of me can feel for you right now. And <laughs> I should, I mean, honestly, I yeah. should. Everybody's journey is their own. And, mm-hmm. and also if it's really, if this isn't for you, I talk about it with my boyfriend all the time because he's a brilliant writer. And he just, he, he, it's more important, like stability, he's got a great job and he's Mm -hmm. got stability and he bought a house. You know what I mean? Like he went that road and that's a beautiful road too. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's parts of him that were like, well, damn, I sort of wish I was a beatnik fucking writer just doing my thing. But the flip side of that is the beatnik writers doing their thing that I know are in their forties in their studio apartments of Virgil just being like, how am I going to put beans on the table? So it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, for you specifically, because you started since you were nine, like, how do you like mentally stay motivated to continually do something like that? Right. Because it's, it's hard for me to, to describe to somebody what it is to do something in this realm and not always expect success. Right. Because not it's, only it's, not expect success, get, get next to guarantee failure. <laughs> Yeah. 2% of the Screen Actors Guild is working at any one time. Yeah. 98% of the ones of us lucky enough to have gotten into the union, which is next to impossible to do, are work. It's just, you can't even wrap your brain around. It's interesting. Um, I just recently, I should look for this text. And then I do want to go back to Glow because I, yeah, for sure. I went off on a tangent about not being able to be sad about Glow because other people have it worse than me. Um, but I do want to read you this really quick. Um, here it is. So I was just up for this, probably the biggest movie of my career, um, directed by one superstar, starring in other superstars, only five people in the movie. And I was up to be the sister. And it was huge. And yeah. this massive director is like sending me specific notes. Like he's not giving overall notes. He's calling casting and being like, hey, Jackie, give these notes to Jackie, right? And it's like, it's looking like it's going to be me. And it's really exciting. They're looking for a Long Island girl. That's obviously me. Very hard to fake that. As you can tell after 25 years, <laughs> not sound like this. I still fucking sound like this. So anyways, I'm like ready to go. Casting director texts me like, yo, are you sure? You're available February to February to April to do this in Maine. She's personally texting my cell phone. I'm like calling my parents, which I never do because I don't want to get their hopes up. And I'm like, I made three separate tapes, sent them in. The massive director giving me personal notes. Radio silence after that. Ugh. I find out from my agent it's between me and this other girl who's way more famous than me. More radio silence. Game over. Doesn't happen. Jesus. It's crazy. But that's. I mean, that's just what this is. So that's just a microcosmic example. And I think for both of us and anyone in this business, if you're lucky enough to even get to that level, it's so hard. It's that the situations are heartbreaking, but that, I mean, the the stories like that have happened to me 
I mean, hundreds of times. Yeah. And when, when that happened, I said, I, my, I was texting my best friend. I said, I'm fucking gutted. And she said, I know, man. And I said, woof, this business has made me a master of getting over heartbreak quickly. I'm a fucking professor of disappointment mitigation at this point. <laughs> right? Like, you just go, like, I had a writing session to, to do that afternoon. And I was, like, cr- practically crumbled in a ball. Like, this life-changing opportunity is here. After Glow got canceled, after I don't know what my next acting job mm-hmm. is going to be. I don't know what anything is going to be. And I this thing is in my hands. And then it's gone. And then my writing partner's like, hey, ready to work? And you're like, ready to work? <laughs> and that's, then the next that's day, the hard part. Yeah. you do uh, an audition and you got to just show up the next day. Because if you don't show up the next day, you'll definitely not get that one. Yeah. You know what? And I, and I think this, like, this conversation is so refreshing because there's – you know, I've I've had a few conversations with personal friends who, you know, they watch a film, they get inspired, and they they want to go into the entertainment industry and they they want to do acting. And I'm not one to tell somebody like, "Hey, you don't have it," right? But yeah. what I want to tell them is that, do you understand what acting entails? You know, it's not just, "Oh, I go in, maybe I get the part I don't." And I think like like it's it's. And sometimes when I have these conversations, they feel like I'm shitting on them. It's like, no, I don't want to set you up for something in this dreamland world where you think that you're going to be successful at something when, like you said, 2% are acting in the union. Like that's how fucking low the probability is. And if you are willing to do something. And the probability is actually much lower than that because your friend, if I had to guess, is not in the union. Your friend is one of those people who probably doesn't even have an agent yet, doesn't even Mm -hmm. have. So it's like that guy's not even in the 2%. Exactly. And like, so like I've had a couple of conversations with somebody um, who, you know, watched the film and they got really inspired and they said, I have something to offer that other people don't. I was like, well, hold on a second. Like, let let me ask you this. I was like, so I have other actor friends who have been taking acting classes, right? Has been taking auditioning classes, been acting for 10 years. And you, somebody who has never acted in their life, you're going to come onto the scene and take every role from them when you haven't done anything at all and mm-hmm. I, i've and i've seen you try to act you fucking suck <laughs> <laughs> you know well this is how i am you know i gotta let them know it's of like course. you like you you fucking suck you know this right <laughs> and then so and the other part that they didn't really think about this specific friend has a family right and i'm like you have a family you also have a husband did you even have a conversation with your husband that you want to go into acting do you know how much time it's going to take and how much that's going to entail like what about your children did you did you think about this you know, what's and so- crazy is my mom had to pretty much give up her life because I was a kid actor. Oh wow! So even if you're a person who's not even an actor, but you're taking your kid around like that, I mean, it's insanely time-consuming. I remember when I used to get a commercial, which would be rare. Um, a friend, like uh, a friend who wasn't in the business, would be like, "Well, that must be nice." You know, you make like let's say twenty grand on a commercial, right? Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, and then. Um, and your friend will be like, oh, that must be nice. You just sit home and the checks come in the mail when the commercial's on. Jesus. And you're like, well, you understand that that 20 grand needs to last me a hot 12 months. Yeah. I've gotten <laughs> zero other jobs. And also, might I add, cut that 20 grand minus agent, minus manager, minus taxes. Now we're at about 11. And then you want to cut from there the fact that I went on 100 other auditions and spent thousands of dollars in gas money and hair and makeup and clothes. Got none of those. I'm still in the hole. (laughs) 
And then you have people being like, oh man, it must be nice to sit home and have checks come in the mail. And you're like, what do you think this is, Charles? <laughs> That's That was the hard part too when I was like, when when they, you know, friends from back home, they would say things like, oh, you've made it. Like, made what? <laughs> like, what are you, what are you talking omelet, about? Because all I've made is an omelet and a maybe a grilled cheese. Like, I, I was like, you, you know, especially because like in the YouTube world, like money was really good at a certain point. Right. right? And then, um, but there's also this thing too, especially like with podcasting, right? Like people don't understand. It's like, you don't have to pay for the office that I'm in. Like, you know, I have to right. do all these, like, there's like, you're the one with the house. You're the one with the career. Yeah. Your life is a lot more stable than mine, dude. Well, like, and that's the thing too, that they don't get where it's like, th- that is the trade, right? Like, and I have, I have so many friends in New York who are actors grow up with me, kid actors growing up and they just hung it up. And now they, you know, they're teachers or they're, they're doing wonderful things. They've got gorgeous houses mm-hmm. in upstate New York or in beautiful parts of Jersey. And, you know, they've got their family and their kids. And those are all things I want desperately. They also want what I'm currently, the success yeah. I'm currently experiencing desperately. But it's, it is not easy. I mean, you got to pick one of those paths, yeah. especially as a woman. You know, you got to, if you want to have kids, you, you have to carve that, choice out of that many many year long choice out of you know uh your work schedule if you're lucky enough to ever have a work schedule yeah well for you like you know i've actually never asked somebody this because i don't think i've very met very much like uh child actors like what's what is that like being a child actor just because like i i see so many stories about uh child actors kind of go off on the, on the deep end and you know that world seems to be a very stressful world for somebody at such a young age so what was that like for you well you know i don't think i realized well speaking of my being the professor of the disappointment mitigation mm-hmm. i mean that started at age <laughs> 11 when I booked a Rice Krispies commercial, which was like my very first gig. Uh, and it came out on TV and I wasn't in the commercial. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that was age 11 of just like, and then my parents were really sad for me. And so by 11, I was taking care of everyone else. I was going like, no, 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 it's fine. I was like making jokes about how I didn't care. Then I would like go in my room and cry. And my parents didn't ask that of me. I could have cried in front of them and they would have rubbed my back. But it was sort of my instinct to be like, no, no, no. Like, it's cool. It's cool. Like, we got this. And then I I get emotional. Can you see my chest? And I, you know, and it was like, so since I'm 11 years, since I was 11 years old, I have sort of been like, no, 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 it's cool. Like, we'll just move on, on to the next one. And having a like, it's not easy. It really, it really formed who I am. It also made me fucking strong um, and tough and funny. Um, You know, uh, and my mom is sickly funny, like real funny, like Joan Rivers vibe funny. Uh, And so like, she never did anything with it. You know, she's, you know, a mom and both my parents were gym teachers, like super chill upbringing. I mean, Um, your your parents, we, I met them you know, while we were shooting the show, you know what the moment that cracked me up the most is like you left the room for a second to get like a hot drink. And then your mom starts telling Holocaust stories to us. It's <laughs> just like right before we're about to shoot and we have to have like this upbeat mood. I'm listening to How most- did that come up? She never does that. <laughs> 
listening to I barely tell- even know the Holocaust story. So this is like the most devastating story your mom is telling us, right? I don't know how this conversation came up. And did Rosemary I- bring something up? Maybe, maybe they had like old people connect and they were talking about some struggles, but your mom told this very specific story. I think it was either about it was about her siblings or her cousins or something, but it was like Did it pertain wh- to leftovers? <laughs> it had it's to do with blowing food. my mind. So she told me this story where she's uh talking about um how they they had to like shave potatoes or something, like oh yeah, shave potatoes down. But because they weren't given it enough food, either her brother or one of her cousins her cut aunt. out her aunt cut out a pocket in her pants and had to stitch something where they could hold a potato and would drop it off to somebody else so they could have something to eat. She was 10. Her aunt was 10. My oh, mom was born. Yeah. My God. My aunt Maksha was brilliant. And so she was hired in one of the concentration camps to peel the potatoes for the soldiers. And since she was a little kid, they weren't, they didn't think, oh, well, she's nobody to worry about. She cut and sewn closed cut and sewed clothes, pockets in her little, I mean, could you even call them pants, in her garbage, potato-sack trash clothes. And she would save the potatoes. And then when she would walk back through the housing, should you excuse the expression at the camp, she would drop a potato out toward one of her other family members so they wouldn't die. That's fucking nuts. And I was hearing all these stories. (laughs) I remember. I mean, the stories are incredible and inspiring (laughs) and heartbreaking but i cannot imagine yeah mom was telling you then before we had to (laughs) it's like hey we're about to go on set keep the energy up well let me tell you this holocaust story i was like oh david we need you in 30 (laughs) seconds have you heard of adolf hitler let me tell you about this motherfucker. Ma, Ma, sit down. Ma, can you please sit down? David has to go out and tell jokes. Ma, well, my aunt was so poor and so starving. Ma, sit down, please. Like That's as she's telling the story, because I feel like I have to, I have to sit her down and like wrench the stories out of her and her mother, who mm-hmm. actually survived the Holocaust, the woman who the potato, potato yeah. woman, sister, um, my grandma Adela. She never told a story to us about it in her life. Oh, wow. Never one time, never brought it up one time ever. That it's so crazy because, like, hearing that too, I'm like, I wonder if those type of stories passed down too is probably the reason why you have such an like, optimistic outlook, right? And I always tell people too that it's super important to understand where you came from to see where you're going. And those type of stories too, even though it was, you know, I was damn near have, in tears listening. Fire. You what? <laughs> Like damn near in tears listening to the story right before I'm about to go on set. You know, it, it was it was so interesting because I never grew up around Jewish people, right? I only know about like Asian plight and you know our personal immigrant story. But when you hear about something like that, it's it's so it's so intense. And mm-hmm. when I see your mom, who's number one, a great storyteller, and she's very optimistic, she's super funny. It's like being able to take that and then kind of compartmentalize or doing whatever you have with it to be this very optimistic person to grow up in this mm. country to raise a beautiful child. It's like it's it's so refreshing to listen to. Thanks. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. I mean, I definitely, I come from fighters, that's for sure. Um, but this is a perfect tie-in uh, back to GLOW because you were saying like, you know more about the Asian plight. And um, so the girl that plays my best friend on GLOW is named Ellen Wong. Mm. And I don't know, you were saying you saw season three and then you were devastated because you're like, and now there's no more GLOW. Yeah. The episode where we go camping and I make the Passover Seder. Mm. And um, she says, I make everything about me. And we're talking. And it's Jenny and Melrose have this fight. Um, and then we start talking about inherited trauma. And it comes out 
that Melrose is such a wise ass because she's really covering up all the pain from her childhood because she, Melrose is in the 80s, is the daughter of Holocaust survivors. And she's sort of telling this story to everyone like, you guys think I'm this fucking clown and you guys, but did it ever occur to you that like, I have to laugh and make jokes so I don't think about the fact that my dad can't live in a house without an attic or a basement. So in case they try to come and kill us, we have to hide again. Yeah. And it's intense. And then Jenny Che, Ellen's character, starts talking about, well, we have that in common because we escaped the Cambodian genocide and we came here on a Marine plane. We came to the United States on a Marine plane full of rice where they smuggled us and everyone we knew was slaughtered. And me and my mom and my dad were the only ones that got away. And that's a true story from her actual life. That's fucking crazy. So that's so nuts. That so me and Ellen, these two women from the most different walks of life, the most different ethnicities, the most different personalities, the most different looking. We're sitting here connecting on inherited trauma and where our families came from and being survivors. And it's just glow. I mean, how powerful for a show to take the truth of the women playing the characters and infuse it into the show to be immortalized or memorialized forever. Yeah, I mean that's number one. That's actually pretty dope, especially in like a part of the the the, the writing staff. Yeah, you know? I mean they did that stuff all the time. Like when we were we would do a month of wrestling training before every season because we did all our own stunts. Another reason glow is the fucking best thing ever. And um they oh hey Glenn. Glenn says what's up? He's barking. Um, but another uh we would all these crazy things would happen to us in wrestling training, and they would write them into the script. That's so crazy. Yeah, they would just they would really they they were they would really listen to us and hear what we were going through. And if they thought that it was powerful narratively, they would add it in. And Glow was so incredible because as I've mentioned probably at broken a broken record number of times, having been in this business for as long as I have, I've never seen a show up until Glow. I never auditioned for a show where there was really like more than one girl that had a chance to like be funny or do something. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, if yeah. there were two girls in it, one was like the hot one and one was the quirky friend, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like just very, I don't know, boring and always written by men who, by the way, were brilliant writers, but like maybe not necessarily writing the female plight yeah, yeah. as a woman could. And then Glow comes along and it gives 14 wild ass rodeo clown bitches a chance <laughs> to shine and almost completely female writers and almost completely female directors. And the show celebrating women of shapes sizes colors i mean the show ages women from their you know late teens to their 40s and just really celebrating women and i think that's a major reason i mourn the show and you know what's what was really cool about the show then that you mentioned that it's like i I think one of my biggest criticisms now is just because a lot of you know this is a, a moving business so when people especially like in film or TV, when people try to capitalize off of movement, they tend to make things super campy, right? They kind of shove it in your face. The great yeah. thing about oh, Glow... 100%. Yeah, so the great thing about Glow was it's like, it might have been 
the the overall impression that you get is women empowerment, but it wasn't shoved in your face. It just is. Oh, it's like no. these like these women are talented. These women's of different color shapes and sizes, but it was never put in your face, right? So you get to just enjoy the show. That's why the show is so fucking good. That's why I'm saying, give me another fucking season. Yeah. It needs give to wrap me, up. Give <laughs> us our goddamn season four. You know what's crazy about that? To fully circle back to your first question. Um we had a season four, right? So we, it was already happening. We shot two and a half episodes. We, the sets were built, obviously. We were working on them. All 10 scripts were written. The well, cast, let's fucking go. <laughs> the cast was all in town from all over the fucking country and world. And like, we were ready to go. And then that nasty, dirty bitch COVID came to town and they had to postpone us. So oh. we, started, we started shooting Glow. I mean, it's so funny because when you say this t- period, this time period, like you can't, the listener can't help but groan. But we started shooting Glow in March of 2020. Oh, wow. Had we started in February, we probably would have been far enough along to fit, but we were only two episodes in and, you know, they just logistically didn't know when the world was reopening. And for the first six months of all of that, it was like, how is anything going to happen? And then once shows started to pick back up, they still were like, how are we going to do this particular one with 15 oh, men each other and wrestling? And it's just the show would end up taking much longer because yeah. we would shoot like 14 hour days. But with COVID, I think now there's like an eight hour cap. You'd have to get how much more money it would cost for the constant testing and the COVID officer and all the lab techs and all the, I mean, and ultimately they start crunching those numbers and I guess it just didn't make sense. Oh, really? Oh, damn. I I didn't even know you guys started shooting that because I just heard. We were like my new character that we bought, um, Debbie Egan, the Betty, Betty Gilpin, the blonde. She bought a TV network at the end of season. Well, whatever. Watch the show. But she, this isn't too spoilery. She bought a TV network. Mm-hmm. Also, you'll never see this. So I can tell you. Yeah. Oh, so sad. Um, and so we all had to have new characters because the Vegas show that we were in in season three now owned our characters. So we could, oh no, rather the TV show that we did in season two, they owned our characters. Yeah. So we were all going to come back in season four as completely new wrestling characters. Oh, that would have been so fucking dope. And I saw, and so we got two episodes in where we got to see everybody in their new characters. We were training and wrestling and do, and the whole show was going to be, was going to be incredible and brand new. And I don't want to spoil too much because I mean, I guess we're still holding out hope to make a movie, but. Oh, please. I I just need something. Like it's, it's, it's like I held in a sneeze. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you and me both. That's you that's what both. it feels like. It's and you know, uh, Netflix does such a great job in terms of like when these new shows hit, they hit hard. So mm-hmm. like, so like when I when I was watching Glow, you know, during the time we were shooting, I was like, dude, look at the production value on this shit is so nuts. It's so insane. I it mean, is- me aside. I guess I, I mean, you can't, it's like my dad saying I'm the most talented person in the world and me being like, dad, you're my dad. Of course you think that. And he's like, no, having nothing to do with being your father, you are objectively the most talented. And it's like, well, you don't understand how objectivity works, yeah. um, but that's how I feel with glow. I'm like me aside, this is the best show ever. What's happening. But I can't take me aside obviously. Cause it's my show. So of course I think that, but it's, I'll tell you something. I've, been on quite a few shows before that and i don't 
Do yeah, that. like I, it's one of those shows too. The production value is great. The cinematography, the writing, the casting, everything in it is damn near perfect. So when, it's crazy. It's it's crazy how well you guys work together too. Like cast chemistry is really good on that show, and I think that's like the hard part to find in a lot of these shows. It's like you can have sometimes some really great actors and actresses, but if the chemistry is not there, it's not there. But you guys meld really well together. It's like it's almost like watching like a docu-series like that's what it feels like to me well do you know that glow is based on an actual 80s tv show called the gorgeous ladies of wrestling oh really oh i just blew your mind so no i didn't know that so our show is a fictionalized version a scripted fictionalized version of a real thing that happened that's fucking nuts so these women, these actresses and athletes, they sort of showed up just like we do in season one. And they were like, what the fuck is this? Where am I? And some mm-hmm. shitty guy comes out, like Marin comes out. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. hello, ladies. Welcome to the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Now, if any of you don't want to beat the shit out of each other, now would be a good time to leave. <laughs> and then half of them leave. And then this, and then these women in the 80s, oh, you should have, you have to look up the documentary of Glow, which is the documentary of the original gorgeous ladies of wrestling. So our showrunners, Liz and Carly and Genji Cohan, they got the rights to that eighties, kitschy campy ass show. And wow. we made the scripted version. Oh, see that explains so much. Cause yeah, it feels, that's why it feels docu vibes. Yeah. 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 How crazy. And that initial show was so ahead of its time. Cause it was, first of all, women centric all women that and it's a, wrestling that for crying out loud rare at mm-hmm. the, especially in the 80s then it was women being athletic mm-hmm. and then it was the first time women were wrestling also the show was sketch as well so in between their wrestling thing their wrestling um, oh. uh matches rather they would cut to you know, the farmer's daughter and whatever, <laughs> yeah. and one of the other girls, and they would be like literally doing a comedy sketch, and then they would cut back to a wrestling match, then they would cut to like all the girls doing a musical number. Wow. It was, it was wackadoo. That's crazy. And so our show was the scripted version of that. That's insane. It's insane. Well, I, I definitely have to watch that doc. Like, oh, I, you're gonna, you, I mean, well, get ready to cry, but yes. Oh no, I'm gonna I'm and gonna laugh. Just... It's incredible. I mean, it's an emotional journey. They do an amazing job. Let me tell you, so this pandemic, I've watched so many things that make me cry. It's like, damn, dude, like, what's going on? What's with You're the like, waterworks? Fuck, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm constantly texting people. Like, they'll send me something sweet or whatever, and I'm like, hey, just crying. Like, I just let me ask so, you something. The tears are so ready right now. One of the funniest bits that I actually. It's very. I think it's very uh, uncommon. I mean, there's a lot of times when I watch a show where something's funny, like I'm like laughing. But there was a there was a scene that you were in that had me fucking dying laughing. This joke cracked me the fuck up. It was when you were in the the hotel and you try to pick up this dude, <laughs> and, then the dude and then it turns out, <laughs> yo, when that scene came up, I was so blindsided by that joke. I fucking started crying laughing. I was like, when, yo, when should we spoil or no? This spoil it. It's okay. It's been out for a when, while. When when he thinks. When I thought that he thought I was a prostitute. Yeah. And he's like, he starts laughing in my face. He's like, wait a minute. You thought, I thought you were a prostitute. No, he's like, I'm a prostitute. (laughs) You need to pay me. And I'm like, no, it's so devastating. I don't think I explained it well, but it's even better. When I watched that scene, I was like, that's a moment when I look, I'm like, I wish I would have wrote that joke. Correct. 
When I read the script, my mouth dropped. (laughs) My mouth dropped. Also, I will add that it was my idea. They were, because obviously, like, I had to be naked in that. Yeah. Really scared. And we had all these, like, sensitivity training beforehand and all the... We have to go to, through crazy things in 2020 or whenever we shot that 2019 mm-hmm. to be naked on TV with another person. Yeah. Men and women both. He and I needed to sit together with a sensitivity trainer and talk about like how our parts were going to be covered so they wouldn't be touching. And then they come in with, they have a thing called, are you ready for this? They have a thing called a vajoga, which is a <sighs> yoga mat cut into the shape of like a bikini bottom that you put in between your legs to cover your veg so that when he's, when he's pounding you, Uh you are, you have a yoga mat thickness between you. So there's like no contact on top of that, on top of that, of a yoga. I've never talked about this. On top of that, I have on what's called a whale tail, which is a thong that tapes like right above your bush and then it goes through your legs and tapes right at the base of your right at the tip of your ass crack so it's covering your parts but you could stand there and look almost completely naked so then they do so first i'm sorry so first they put on first they moleskin me shut they put moleskin that you know what that is like that yeah, yeah. sort of flesh colored but maybe like felt sticker mm-hmm. over me on my area <laughs> to cover it then they put on the whale tail so i'm completely covered and then they put a vajoga between my legs and then he's doing the same thing he's covering up all his parts he doesn't get the vajoga and then we put our bodies together so it's interesting like there's nothing in the planet less sexy. So it's one of those things like when you're in a relationship and your partner's like, oh my God, you had to fuck a dude on TV. Like that's obviously would be very hard for anyone's partner. Like yeah. when look that intimate with someone else, Yeah, it could not be less intimate or less sexy. All you have to say is, hey, vajoga. Vajoga. <laughs> and then, okay. okay, I get it. Yeah, 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 granted. <laughs> Perfect. And then they call cut and people run in with like robes and then you're cold and you've got like all goosebumps and shit. And it's just like, it's awkward and you're standing there. But all that said, they were like, you know, you can put your shirt back on for when you guys start fighting. And I'm like, it's way funnier to fight with my tits out. So um, the, the comic in me beat out the insecure lady <laughs> me that was like oh my god yes give me my clothes back as soon as humanly possible i was like nah fighting with titties out is just too funny i'll keep my shirt off and they were like are you sure and i was like that's funny it's like we're already in this let's let's, yeah, let's, 100%. let's, go. let's go we're already in this like, What's the the yoga fell to the ground let's just do it let's just move <laughs> on. Okay. was that was that your first uh topless seat it was my first yoga for sure um yes oh. it was my first it was my first anything uh, of that of that regard. Um, and it was, it was wild, but you know, Allie and Betty and had been, I mean, the show is so tasteful. There is, I don't think there's zero, there's any nudity on that show. That's not just like perfectly done and classy and beautiful and adds to the scene and is like funny and necessary. It's not like everyone on glow is walking around banging yeah. naked and you know, like it's women in a dressing room. So if someone yeah. is sitting with her back and someone else comes in and she isn't fully dressed yet, she turns around, you'll maybe see some boob. Like it's just, it was more important to us to create a space 
a real, true, safe space for women. Yeah. And if it was like, you know, certain times you're like, okay, that was a little extra. Not on Glow. On other things you're watching, you're like, okay, that's just sex for sex, for the purpose of sex. And it's... Oh, you're talking about uh, Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, like it always, it yeah. always like it, it kind of, I mean, it's it's hot a lot of the time, but it it like reeks. You're like, yeah, I can see what you're doing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was yeah. never that way on Glow. It was always like, not to, again, here I go with my feminist flag, but like it was always female positivity and body positivity and power first. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it, And you feel that when you're watching it. And because I was on such a special show, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of happy doing this. Um, really funny story, actually. I don't know if they'll love me telling this, but it's a it's a glow classic. Um, I was really nervous about being topless. Mm. And so uh, I get a knock on my trailer door and uh, it's Allie and Betty and they have like their coats on and they're all dressed. And I was like, hey, you guys. And um they were like we heard you're nervous and I was like I really am and they both let their coats drop and they just had their tits out (laughs) and they were just talking to me and they were like hey dude so they're standing there with their tits out they're like so we just heard you were nervous and we wanted to know if there was like anything we could do to like help you out or make you feel like it's something to be more okay with and I was hysterical cry laughing Cause they just, they just, and then they committed the whole time. And they were like, so if there's like, you know, truly, honestly, Jack, seriously, like, I, we know you are like freaking out, like tr- truly let us know. And I'm like, I'm just looking at your cans, get out of here. And then I went to set and I did it. And it was just really. Yo, really- girls are so funny. Like, I remember like my, my, one of my friends, she just got uh, implants for the first time. Right. <clears throat> this is years ago. And you know, like as guys, we don't, know how comfortable women are with each other right Right. it's not like a guy just walks out and whips out his dick and he's just like hey guys what's going on yeah you know here's my ball back but but literally this girl just got her implants and you know she just rested up it's all fine now and then they're all hanging out and like oh we want to see let's go to the bathroom (laughs) just walk into the bathroom and you could hear them talking like whoa those are really nice like can i touch it good those look real can i touch them i'm like is this what girls do like well i'll tell you with natural boobs we we definitely don't just show each other our tits for no reason yeah 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 but i do have a friend who recently got hers done and we were in another friend's kitchen actually it's funny when you say recently because then you do the math and you're like well that was before the pandemic so that was a <laughs> year ago yeah um anyway last week year though we were just in a friend's kitchen and she just lifted her shirt she was like yeah and we were all like oh my god gorgeous <laughs> that looks like, great people were touching this, and it was like this- Hundred percent. But with like natural boobs, I, we're not going. I mean, we see each other's boobs generally and change in front of each other, but it's not. You know, no one's whipping them out to be like, take a look at these. Yeah, because I know, like, so when we were in when I went to Japan, they had like these these uh, saunas, right? And you're supposed to be butt naked in there. Like Korean and Japanese people, like when it comes to like being nude in front of somebody, it's not that big of a deal, especially right. when you go to these saunas. Like you go to these Korean saunas in K Town. You're all, everything's out. Oh, I, I go, I go to the Korean spa. Right. Like it is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But then and I love it afterwards too. Like my fiance is so funny. Uh, she comes out after we, I'm in the guys one and she's in the girls ones. And then we come out, we're hanging out in our hotel room. She goes, you know, nipples are all different. <laughs> so I was like, what do you mean? Dude? She's like, yeah, like everybody's is just a little different. It's like a little snowflake. You know, they're so unique. Oh, that's the cutest thing ever. It makes me bite my teeth. <laughs> it really, it really is true. And it's like, 
that's another thing about glow. It's like everybody's boo everyone who showed their boobs and like you really get to see because I think as a little girl growing up, the only boobs I saw on TV were either fake ones or were like what men, what we've been told are perfect boobs. Mm -hmm. They're perky, they're round, the nipples are the right size. And it's like, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It is exhausting. I mean, it's wonderful to be a woman, but it's exhausting the uh, emotional warfare we wage on both ourselves and is waged on us to be like, oh, that's what our that's what my tits have to look exactly like for me to like myself or like them or want to show anybody them without it being in the dark. Like this is what we're taught. Well, this and is I'm what I say, like all, all these dudes who, who do say that, and I've said this on this podcast before, any guy that go, when they look at a boob, that's not like their ideal boob and they go, ew, it's because you're a fucking virgin. Like you've oh never, God. like you've never fucking seen a woman naked before. Like shut the fuck up. Like all that shit's different, dude. What the fuck you're are you talking virgin, about? Bro. Yeah. Also, like, also, the, the men who say that I would like their I would like a eight by ten glossy of their cock and balls sent directly to my house for me to judge because you don't get to judge like and that's the other thing like we were talking about with women with women and men like as men get older they're sexier as women get older they expire like women I mean from I've been one for a long time we don't like dick size isn't even really like a thing. It's like, no one even cares. It's like, unless it's micro, but other than that, <laughs> nobody cares. And like, it's such a man thing. And I think even with a lot of dudes too, like it's pretty fucking woke of you to be like, you're an idiot. But because I think a lot of men feel like to be funny and cool and included, they need to like agree with homeboy who says, Oh, those tits are gross or whatever. And it's like, you should, by the way, you should be so lucky. She wouldn't come within, she wouldn't touch you with a 10 foot pole anyway, friend. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it, like I would always hear this conversation about dudes. And, you know, for me, it was just obnoxious because like, you know, you would see a guy like they look like the most disgusting fucking creature you've ever seen in oh, your correct. fucking life. Like, like a bar of soap hasn't touched their body ever. <laughs> and, and they see this girl walk by and they go, oh, you don't know what I would do with that. It's like, no, you wouldn't know what to do with that. Yeah, you a, wouldn't. Because that woman would never approach you. If you were near her, she would start running. Because she could smell you already from a mile away. <laughs> so the first thing you'd have to do is take up jogging behind her so you can lose the rest of the narrative about how you'd bend her over the couch because bitch is nowhere near you. Exactly. That's why it was just the oddest thing. Like I, I would hear this and it was just obnoxious. It's like, why do you do, who taught you this? Like if you wouldn't approach her and talk to her, then you shouldn't say that type of shit yeah, in the ridiculous. first place. It, it's just like this weird thing. Like I even talk about this where, uh, you know, what you see on, on Instagram, like some girls, they'll post their pictures and let's say they don't Photoshop and you see stretch marks and they're like, uh, she has, I was like, girl, dude, every fucking girl has stretch marks. What well, the fuck are you talking about? That's a that massive problem on both sides. Right, because magazines Photoshop everything. Now we have the ability when we're posting, everything is filters and Photoshop and smoothing and Facetune. I mean, I it's really hard. And because of that, men see women who look flawless, and then so women and men both see women who look flawless and judge themselves against that, and it's a false reality. Mm. So women are like, oh my God, look at her amazing skin. It's like, yeah, just go like that on Facetune and make yours look like that. I mean, I don't choose to do that, but that's how people do it. So it's like we mm. are comparing ourselves to a fake, not expectation, but. Yeah, like, like I, I had this conversation about like uh, recently too, about 
you know, how popularized cosmetic surgery is now, right? And I, th- I feel like the narrative has changed a lot from when it was before. It was find everything about you that's beautiful and then appreciate that. And now mm-hmm. it's look, I have the money. I could change whatever the fuck I want. And that's real women empowerment. So like, I don't, I don't, when I heard that, like it always sat funny with me, right? Because when I, when I see somebody try to change something physical about themselves, it's very fleeting. Like your, your looks are going to change. It's going to fade over time. It doesn't fucking matter. Like, yeah, you should try to look your best while you have what you got. That's fine. But once it goes away, it goes away for a reason. You can age with grace. And I, I've always had this weird conversation now, especially like in this city, because I don't have this conversation back at home in Sacramento. I don't have it in these smaller cities and towns, but these huge metropolitan cities, there's this idea that you should just change whatever the fuck it is you want about your face. And they think that it's going to fix something. In my personal opinion, I have yet to see where that change becomes permanent. Right, where they change. I've also yet to see, with very few exceptions. Like, for example, my friend who just got her boobs done, it truly made her happier. Yeah. She was flat her whole life. She really wanted boobs, and it was like, awesome, God bless. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you're born looking, facially looking one way, and you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to change every single thing about your face, I'm here for that if you want to do that. I think what I'm not here for is our deifying and then idolizing mm. what that person looks like. Like, yeah. well, you could look like that if you just spent the money. Like for me, if we want to be like, oh my God, Giselle is flawless. Well, she was born that way. She's genuinely flawless. Mm-hmm. I think it's more confusing for me when we, and not that I think we should idolize her because she's a beautiful woman. I'm just saying, I think it's easier for my brain to, for, for me to wrap my brain around. Like, we're well, I think we're in this weird space of idolizing people who spent a ton of money to change what they look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's fine if you want to change what you look like. I, I, that's okay. It's all I you. Don't, I don't want to do that. If you want to do that, that's okay. I think it's the idolizing and how much it's making young girls and women feel shitty about themselves mm-hmm. because they don't look like that. Yeah, well, that person doesn't look like that either. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's that's I think the part that is is hard, and also it's you know, and then men their standards are going to this weird false place that's not a reality. Yo, and, and girls' I, standards are going like that's not real. What you're looking at. Well, yeah, and this is what I said too. Like on my last podcast, it's like these dudes also say, and I got to check some of these guys all the time. It's like, yo. You keep putting up these posts and stories saying like, oh, these girls are doing too much with their lips and all this other stuff. I like girls without makeup. But motherfucker, who are the girls you're following on Instagram? They don't look like that. Yep. So you're a fucking hypocrite. Like yep. you're jacking off and you're fucking Correct. bookmarking these fucking girls that you're criticizing. So who are you to say anything? You're also setting this odd standard. So Correct. at the same time, like for me, I just like people to look different. I think like the differences is what makes people, cause there's like a, everybody fucks with something different. Right. Cause when everybody starts to look the same, which I see a lot, it's like, eh, I, I just, it's I don't so like this. Weird. Sometimes yeah. I find myself zooming in on someone's face, trying to figure out what <laughs> I'm even looking at. And <laughs> it is not looking pretty. Human. But I'm like, what shape lips is are that? <laughs> like, what? I'm like cricking my neck to try and figure out. Like, now there's a thing where people get like their eyes pulled up, mm-hmm. like they get. It's like sort of a eye facelift, and like it creeps me out, man. I know they just but, looked at my eyes and they're like, I want those. It's like, nah, bro, these are yeah. here, dude. I don't even have to do this, motherfucker. This is how I am. <laughs> Baby, I was born this way. <laughs> 
You know, I don't have to get threads put through. They get a thread put through here into their scalp. Nothing. And, you know, the, the concept of beauty, too, the standard always changes. So what's the point? That's true, too. I remember um, I had friends years ago who were all getting their bushes completely lasered off. And I was like, <laughs> you're going to want hair there at some point. It's going to come back. Believe me. Well, it doesn't come back. And that's <laughs> when it's lasered off, it's gone. I mean, for at least five or ten years. Yeah. So, like, I did my pits because I'm like, there is no universe I'm ever going to want pit hair. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. But I knew people that did their whole bush and you were like, yo, what? That shit changes. Or eyebrows. People who lasered off their eyebrows and now big old thick eyebrows are back. It's like, well, that no. was a mistake. You tweezed them all out and made them into a weird line. Let me tell you something. The, the 90s eyebrows were fucking crazy. Like the eyebrows. The line? Were, the, was yeah. it, were 90s the line or were 90s yeah. boys? It was the fucking line. You know what I mean? And that shit was was the shit back yeah, in the like day. Girls were shaving their brows off. I have, I have friends who tweeze their eyebrows so hard in college that they didn't grow back. I had a makeup artist do me for something the other day. And um, she was like, she's thinking about getting, uh, what's it called? Like hair transplant surgery or something? Mm. Like how Is men it- do it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, She's going to do it for her eyebrows. I didn't know that was a possibility. Oh, everything's a possibility. <laughs> it's crazy. Eyebrows, too, make the face, though. Like, well, somebody has to fuck yeah, up eyebrows. Yeah, eyebrows are important, but, like, I, people tattoo them, but it's like, it has to be hair. How's a tattoo going to do that? You can tell it's not hair. Yeah, they do the uh, microblading thing, right? Where they, uh, yes. they, they microblade it, and, they, and they, uh, it makes it look like it's a lot fuller. <laughs> yeah. Too. Like right here, my parents, my parents, my parents own a beauty supply store. So I always notice like these weird things like with eyebrows and shit, but I remember the trend of eyebrows, you know, your parents owned a beauty supply store. Yeah, they still do. In Sacramento? In Sacramento. So we own a black beauty supply store. So I grew up in like a predominantly black neighborhood. This is a very good piece of information. for me. <laughs> yeah, I this is, love, I love to learn that shit. Yeah. So like hair, eyebrows, makeup was something that I was just always around. Like there was like a nail shop right that's next incredible. to us. Yeah, so that's what I was doing my whole life, which is observing hair. I'm just like, look at this. That bitch's hair and, sucks. And now, I, and now I love you even more. Little baby David So just being like, so that's what a weave is. Yo, in high school, I used to just start braiding girls' hair up in class. I would just like straight start braiding their hair like this. Oh, you were you getting very laid? Were you just, uh, were you just nah, I was, I was not getting laid at all. I just liked hair. I was like, girl, you just sit there. Let me do your hair real quick. I'll just be braiding girls' hair. I'm picturing like, your personality now, but I'm a 17-year-old who's like braiding a hot black girl's hair. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is very exciting. I was like, baby, stay still. Hold on a second. Let me baby, stay still. still. You know, this is what I would do. Now, like high school for me, I was, I only had like one crush. Like I only liked one girl in high school. And I was very fucking awkward. Like I started, you know, growing into my personality and my skin when I, like after high school. Huh. Right. So it was like probably toward my senior year of high school. I was like, hey, you know what? Fuck all this stuff. I'm just going to be myself. You know? Oh, my goodness. Well, that was a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it was. was, And then it was, listen, and then it was just years and years of basketball shorts until now. (laughs) You know what? The basketball shorts started happening when I was really started getting into stand up comedy because I was like, if I'm going to be a stand up, what the fuck does it matter what I look like? Like, just be funny, wear whatever the fuck you want. And if they don't like it, it doesn't matter what you look like. You're and just supposed stand to stand up for women is like, you can't wear something too sexy because then the people in the audience are looking at your body and your knockers instead of your comedy. But then you also don't want to be too much of a dump because you want to, it's just like, it's such, this is such a, it's a, such a funny business. That's so hard to deal with. It's like, why can't I just be fucking funny? Why can't I just act? Like, why does everything else have to entail this one part when you should really be looking at the skill? 
That's the hard part. It is. It really is. And it's like, it, it's so many things are yeah. considered and come into play. It's, it's, a, you know, it's funny for me because um, I really did not, I mean, I won't say I failed because I had a lot of close calls and, um, but I mean, I had some like crazy, you know, made $12,000 in a year, years, but this business is, and it's funny because I can look back on it now with a little bit of a sense of clarity, sitting in the body and space and success that I'm currently today sitting in, which of course I'm hyper aware that could knock on wood be gone at any moment as it was. And to go back to where I was for so long, I mean, I, I recognize how lucky I am, but it, it's still, it's such, it, this is a heartbreaking business ever, yeah. like pretty much daily when I got, um, leftovers actually. So first I met the magical elves. Then we all went over to Netflix to see if they felt similarly about me that the elves did as the elves did rather. And, um, the first time this ever happened to me in my life, I don't know if you know this, where we I was waiting in outside with, uh, with Casey and Joe and I think Sam from the elves mm -hmm. outside the Netflix building after the meeting and Toby, the head of the magical elves at the time came out of the net. We were like, I was like, where's Toby? And they were like, Oh, um, he's still talking to Netflix. And he came outside of the Netflix building and he said, well, it's you. They love you. They want to, they want to move forward with you. And I burst into tears. Really? Burst. I'm crying. I am getting emotional right now. I was like, what? No, no, they did. They did not say, tell me they said that if you, they better have fucking said that if you're saying I was crying and he was like, it's okay. It's okay. And I was like, wait, what if it all, and what came out of my mouth for immediately was what if it all falls apart? Wow. And he said, it might, but you have it. <laughs> it was great. He goes, I don't know what's going to happen from here. And well, and he, well, he, but he said in a, in a, in a cute way, yeah. he goes, it might, he goes, obviously, you know, contingent on deals working out and all that stuff, but it's you, we want you, they want you. And it was like 20, it was like 31 years of waiting for someone to say that and mean it. Do you have like this, uh, feeling of imposter syndrome sometimes? Like when you have like your level of success because nobody knows your personal struggle, like starting as an actor, like a childhood actor well, to getting your hit at 36, you know? Well, I actually don't have imposter syndrome. It's mm. one of the few psychological issues associated with being an actor that I don't suffer from. Mm. So, uh, I suffered from guilt when I wasn't working that I was, not happy for my friends who were working because it was so hard to celebrate everybody else's seeming constant success in the face of my constant failure. Yeah. Um, so I always suffered from that it was a hard one for me to get over. Just like their success doesn't mean my failure. I mean, my failure means my failure. Yeah. Um, always suffer from that, but something in me, whether that's like my internal combustion engine or just how I feel about myself or what my parents instilled in me, I never had imposter syndrome. I have always consistently felt like I can fucking do this. Can somebody let me? And the time, and when wow. I started succeeding, it wasn't, it was because somebody let me, but it was also because I finally let myself. I wasn't just sitting there with reps waiting for the phone to ring. And that's okay. If people want to 
be an actor and do that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't working for me. So I really started doing more stand-up. I started touring. I started making my own stuff. I started writing. And this way, now when I was going on auditions, my whole universe wasn't wrapped up in whether I was or was not going to get this single episode of um, fucking Blue Bloods. Yeah. It was like... There, I had a bigger story at that point. I was touring. I was opening for cool people. I was doing my jokes. I was feeling good. Managers were starting to be like, oh, you're funny. And I was like, oh, so all I had to do was do it. <laughs> um, and I mean, not that it was like one, two, three easy once I started doing stand-up. I mean, even then I I started stand-up when I was 14. And then in my 20s, I stopped because... Uh, I was afraid of my own shadow and really dove into the relationships I was in instead of focusing on myself. Mm. Um, but then back in my, when I was like 30 or 31, I started doing stand up like consistently. And still it was five years later till I got close. So it wasn't like that happened immediately either, but it was, there was a, there was a change in me that I was ready to focus on myself um, as much or more than the relationships that I was in and sort of cultivating the men that I was with to be the best they could be. I think that attitude is so important too, especially what you said. That's so, <clears throat> it's like, well, like I have what it takes. I just need someone to allow me to do it, you know? <clears throat> and but I think that's such a powerless feeling because yeah. then you're like, there's literally nothing I could do to make myself succeed. I have to just, <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to just wait for Like, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I kind of felt, you know, like the first time I got booked something, and then I didn't get it was because like the character got cut, cut out. I think that shit was hard, right? It was like, oh, I went through all these fucking hoops. They love me. And they're like, hey, we're just going to, this character doesn't work here. So we're going to leave it out. That, that fucking hurt. Like I didn't, oh, yeah. it's, you know, cause I've been, I'm pretty much scabbed over. I think like when I first started auditioning, my very first audition, I bombed terribly. And I think I, I remember I went into my car and I laid the seat back and I went, you fucking idiot. <laughs> I just sat there like, what the fuck? I called my, I, like I called one of my, laid, I like that you laid the seat back. I did. Cause I just wanted to die in my car. And I just called my, my you friend. wanted to yell toward the roof as opposed to the windshield. <laughs> I wanted point. to echo back into my fucking yeah. stupid face. And so I called my friend who was an active buddy. I was like, Hey bro, I bombed that shit. I was like, is this how you feel? He goes, yeah, just get used to it. And then uh, you'll, you'll scab over. And then the next one I did scab over, I was like, well, that's about the worst audition I could ever have in my oh, fucking 100%. life. You know, it's and good then, you scabbed over right away, though. I think I just I just didn't want to feel a lot of people years. And then they're just, you know, I had a big I had a big uh, period of my right. life in my which is really weird. I did a play in New York. And when I came back to L.A., I um, I was getting I was so nervous on auditions that my hands and feet were shaking. Wow. And I couldn't I couldn't. Now, I didn't feel nervous i wasn't like <laughs> but my body was nervous i couldn't like i couldn't i couldn't take it it's crazy i mean you've been doing it for so long i mean before we sign off um what is like some advice that you would give to somebody who wants to go um, into acting glenn do you want to come say hi to david while i before we sign off come here i want to see glenn Glennie, come here because you have to speak to david so a famous man <laughs> Come here, little puppy. <laughs> like, that's right. Yo, your dog's face is hilarious. 
My name is Glenn. My heart is full. I am the most wondrous man. My arms are sticks. Don't take a look. My heart is too big and I'm doing licks. Your, your dog looks like he could give a fuck less. Like, what is this? Never met a more zen bitch. <laughs> Glenn is just like, no matter where you hold him or put him, he's just like, huh? he's the chillest man that ever was. Like, he's a perfect dog for me. He like just absorbs my neuroses and is like, hmm. he's great. I thought um, when you look, I yeah. would say my advice ties into what we were just talking about, which is, you, if you want to do this, um, I mean, a million things have to happen, but I, I truly think the most important one is that you have to create your own stuff. You know, you have Mm. to, I think that like the days of just like being an actor, like that's incredible, but it's really, this business is so saturated, especially with like, you know, the I guess advent is not quite the right word, but like with TikTok and Instagram and people getting famous through social media all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these massive companies are like, you know, lauding the, the new people they sign and they're like, you know, and a few years ago it was Vine stars and then it was Insta stars and now it's TikTok stars. And like, and I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I'm saying like, so if that's not your jam, like you need to figure out, especially in the pandemic, it's hard. It's not like you can go do stand up. Cause for me, that's what changed my life instead of me. Cause it changed my mind. Right. So instead of waiting for someone to say, Jackie, you're enough. You're okay. You're funny. You got the job. I said, no, I'm just going to go do something. I'm going to, it changes it from being passive to being active. It changes it from mentally you waiting and being sad and feeling like you're not chosen to Mm. just choosing your fucking self and getting on stage and failing a ton, but meeting cool people and punching up each other's jokes in like the back room at the comedy. I mean, the improv and like, it changes the whole energy and it just makes you feel so much more alive than just being like, boy, I hope I get that secret deodorant commercial callback otherwise (laughs) get my insurance or pay my rent or have any self-respect and so it's it's hard you know um and so i think the number one advice i could give is like just truly do i mean you but make things and if make things means to you writing you love to write and you you know and you submit your writing to get sort of funny editorials at Vice or Cosmo or just do things. Yeah, just to stay active. I think that's very important. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think like the biggest the biggest difference that I see from, you know, a lot of younger people who want to go into the traditional acting space, be in movies and films. And, they you know, you guys want to do it through YouTube and everything else. But the hard part is now that everybody's social interaction is with themselves when they're talking to a camera. Like the the i think the yeah. the the greatest thing about you is like your life experience makes up so much of your personality who you are like how you speak into camera everything all that other stuff a lot of these people are lacking because mm-hmm. they don't talk to people they don't have conversations they're not experiencing new things so a lot of the times when it comes to like i could ask you a question and you know what to say because you're confident because of the life experiences that you've had mm-hmm. and so a lot of these kids and i think that also transfers over to screen like you don't have life experiences. You have very limited things that you can draw from. 
you know, and I think because of you, when I, when I meet you and then when, you know, when we were doing the chem test that I didn't know was a chem test, it's like, yo, this girl's fucking hilarious. It was funny. <laughs> I, felt, I felt the same way. And then you left and everyone was like, so him, right? Like it was great. <laughs> That's dope. I had no idea. Oh, I was just yeah. like, everyone was like, so him. And we were like, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> let's see, let's see who else we like is here. And then we saw Rosemary and we were all like, well, she, she, she's nuts. Let's do it. I mean, and also so funny about Rosemary, because like she might be the only person that talks more than me. <laughs> and we were on a Zoom trying to do a chem test. But yeah. As we were on a Zoom, there was also a lag. And so it's like two people that never shut up, but also a lag. So like no one knew when someone was taking a break, when to start, when to go. So it's hard to actually see if there was going to be chemistry because we are both such big personalities and it was over Zoom. Yeah, and I think we ended up just getting so crazy lucky with her, with how lovely she ended up being and how funny she ended up being and knowledgeable. And it all just, um, it, it worked. just worked out. It was so it fun. Worked. Like being, being on set was, was fun. I was like, what yo, an this unlikely is trio. <laughs> Rojaxo. Rojaxo baby for life. <laughs> well, Jackie, thank you for hopping on in. That was super enlightening. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired every time I'm you speak. I'm inspired. I absolutely, I just adore you. Um, I used to kind of gag when people said that word, but I'm also like, that's just how I feel. So I don't know. That's, that's, that's you girl. You're, you're an inspiring person. Like your energy is so yeah. fucking dope. Like I've, there's very few people that I get to meet where I'm just like, this person can do anything the fuck that they want. And that's oh, like that's the vibe that I, I get the from the same you. way about you. And I think in season, if we get a season two, if you think, that we're not both singing songs. Then I, don't know. <laughs> I just think it's so it's so sickening that I had to learn that you had like John Legend level skills after we rapped. I was like, is this kid a fucking? What is wrong with this kid? No, 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 no. I I get nervous when I sing though. Like, like I don't care. I don't have. To, I honestly like I'm trying to be care about you. I don't give a shit. I don't care about your feelings. I just care about how you sound when you sing, and I want to hear it. So that's all I'm saying. Hey, we'll, we'll we'll make it happen on the second season. It's gonna happen. I I believe it. I believe it right here in the fucking. I need it. Shit. I need it. I need it. I can't oh. wait. I can't wait. Okay, babe. Love you very much, I and I will you. talk Thank to you, you soon. Thank you for having me. Yes. Okay. Bye. Bye, baby. <laughs>